0: All right, invite you to turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles, chapter 10. Second Chronicles, chapter 10. Finishing the second part of the first two King studies that I planned to do. I had originally planned to do them together, and if you're wondering why the titles look similar, that's part of the reason why. The other part of it was it just kind of accidentally happened that way. So pardon me for that, but uh, I think it's... It, really sums up the life of the king that we're going to look at very well. We've already looked a little bit at the life of Rehoboam just by studying Jeroboam, his counterpart of the northern kingdom, and so we know part of the account that we're going to look at today already with his life. Think to yourself, is there a decision in life that if you had to go back and change it, uh, you would go back and change that in a heartbeat? You know, maybe a piece of advice that you didn't follow from somebody that as you look back weeks, months, years later, you wish you had listened to what those people had said. You know, Maybe it was some kind of a, a financial uh, opportunity. Maybe it was a spiritual decision. Maybe it was a relationship. You know, is, is there advice at some point that you wish you had taken but you didn't? So we're going to be again looking at a man who went through that exact thing that perhaps later in life maybe he did regret not listening to wiser counsels. You know, and part of of how we should be uh and this is another kind of a self-analysis question, you know, we we really ought to be heading off situations rather than Uh, reacting to them when they happen, to be be proactive rather than reactive. And I think that's another aspect of what we're going to look at today in the life of Rehoboam, a man who, when situations came, he wasn't ready for it, and so he ended up reacting instead of being prepared in advance for that situation. And there's a verse that we're going to look at at the very end, which uh, the Bible itself summarizes as his life testimony. He prepared not his heart, to seek the Lord. You know, it would be a tragedy for any of us that as we go through our Christian lives in particular, you know, hopefully those of us who are here today already know the Lord, are already saved. But as we live those lives, you know, are we prepared to do what's right for the sake of God? Are we prepared to make those hard decisions when they come about? Let's look at this man Rhea today. As we explore some of these questions, I have you in Second Chronicles chapter 10. I'd actually like to start reading a couple verses before that in chapter 9, verse number 30. And Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel forty years. And Solomon slept with his fathers, and he was buried in the city of David his father. And Rehoboam his son reigned in his stead. Chapter 10. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for to Shechem were all Israel come to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was in Egypt, whither he had fled from the presence of Solomon the king, heard it, that Jeroboam returned out of Egypt. And they sent and called him. So Jeroboam and all Israel came and spake to Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore, ease thou somewhat the grievous servitude of thy father, and his heavy yoke that he put upon us, and we will serve thee. And he said unto them, Come again unto me after three days. And the people departed. And the king Rehoboam took counsel with the old men that had stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived, saying, What counsel give ye me to return answer to this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou be kind to this people, and please them, and speak good words to them, they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel which the old men gave him, and took counsel with the young men that were brought up with him that stood before him. And he said unto them, What advice give ye that we may return answer to this people which have spoken to me, saying, Ease somewhat the yoke that thy father did put upon us? And the young men that were brought up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou answer the people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it somewhat lighter for us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. For whereas my father put a heavy yoke upon you, I will put more to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions." Lord, I pray that you would direct our study today as we look at the life of this man, Jeroboam. And while there are lessons that uh, he indeed, while he was in those situations, uh, had to learn personally and had to experience, and uh, looking back at some of those decisions, uh, maybe he could have wished that he would have made a different decision. We, Lord, have the opportunity to look at his life and not make some of the same mistakes that he did And I pray, Lord, that through the the teaching and the preaching of your word today, you would help uh, me especially, Lord, uh, but also your people here who listen, that in so reading these things and in so uh, understanding them and applying what we can from this passage to our lives, we would become more like your son, Jesus Christ, in the way that we live and behave and act towards this world and be better servants for you, Lord, we ask this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So again, a man who I believe had some decisions to make, made a bad decision, and you know, as we maybe kind of follow along in narrative sometimes, we could only wish that people would make the right decisions, but again, these things are here for our learning, and so we're here to learn from them today. So looking first of all, we're going to see how he was forsaking his father. And by that, I mean his earthly father, Solomon. We, that's part of why I read those other two verses. They're, they're just to get us introduced to the, the family line. And Solomon, his father, Rehoboam. And again, looking at verse number one there, we see that Rehoboam went to Shechem. And then last time we looked at the significance of Shechem. And how going all the way back to the days of Abraham, this is a very important place in the history of the nation of Israel. And then you had people like Jacob dwelling there. And then you also had uh, Joshua when they came into the promised land and they recommitted themselves to serve the Lord. Shechem was the place where they did that. So Shechem is a very important place where now it says that, for to Shechem were all Israel come to make him king. This is supposed to be Rehoboam's coronation ceremony. And so we see in verses two through four there that they have a little bit of a council maybe that they've gotten together. They've, as I said last time, they recognize the leadership of this man, Jeroboam, uh, this one who was afflicted by Solomon and felt some grievances against Solomon. They raised him up as their spokesman. And in those verses there, they have that request that several times in the passage that we read, uh, we encountered that talking about easing the yoke, lightening the burden that was upon them during the days of Solomon. And in 1 Kings chapters 4 and 5, we looked at some of that burden that they had to bear under the reign of Solomon. And so you have a people that's very tired and very weary. They've been working hard. They've accomplished a lot. But now in their minds, it's time to rest. It's time for us to rest from our labors. And so they send Jeroboam, their spokesman, to go and speak their cause before the man who was to be king of Judah, Rehoboam, here. So, first of all, let's look at his decision deferred here. You actually see that in verse number five, after what I've already discussed here. It says, he said to them, come again unto me after three days, and the people departed. So, he evidently needed some time to think about this, and uh, Maybe there are some decisions in life which you can make very quickly. You, you don't have any problem answering someone right away because you're prepared in your heart, you're, you're, you know what the situation is, and you know exactly what you want to be able to say. But I, I almost sense a little bit of conflict here in the heart of Rehoboam. You know, he, the fact that he had to think about this. I mean, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, who knew about the labors that his father put upon the people, I, I don't know if maybe he was thinking, well, you know, th- these things are so great, you know, why don't we just, we could make, let's let's make Israel even greater. Let's make more structures. Let's make, let's collect more taxes. Let's put more of you to work and do perhaps a greater thing for the nation of Israel. I don't know exactly what he had in his mind, but this was something that he had to think about. And so he does what I think any wise person would have done in his situation or should have done, is he, he did encounter the, the elders that were in the presence of Solomon, his father, and asked of their advice. So we're going to get to that in a little bit, but as I think about the, the fact that he deferred this decision and, and the, the upbringing of Rehoboam, there's some things that we can explore concerning this. Now, what did Solomon do when he had to make some of these hard decisions you go back to 1 Kings chapter 3, and perhaps the key incidents which led to the greatness of Solomon, the fact that he cried out to God, you know, not for riches, not for great wealth, not for a great kingdom. He just wanted the wisdom to be able to be the king. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, you see him crying out to God for that. I've already mentioned the verse that we're going to look at concerning the, the legacy of the life of Rehoboam, that he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. His father did that in 1 Kings chapter 3, and I believe that led to his ability to be able to handle some of these hard decisions. You see there at the end of that chapter, after he spent time crying out to God, he's approached by those ladies who are fighting over the, it's kind of a custody battle, as it were, for this child. And so... Solomon, in his wisdom, you know, this This wasn't something that when they came to him, he had to say, you know what, let me think about this. You know, what could have happened in that situation if Solomon had waited, uh, you know, they might have, you know, the other party might have done something to that child, and then you wouldn't have the rest of that account. But you have Solomon, who whose heart was prepared in that moment to be able to render a decision and made a decision that made the entire nation of Israel wonder and awe at what he had done. Now, what wisdom has been given this king that he was able to to discern between these two women whose child this actually was? So Solomon was able, in his preparation of his wisdom, able to make that hard decision. Rehoboam himself, looking at him, being Solomon's son... You know, I think about the timetable. Uh, another reason I read some of those verses in the previous chapter, you look at verse 30, and you see how long Solomon reigned. And it says he reigned for 40 years. And as would normally happen, you have an immediate succession, which is what's happening here in chapter 10. So uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but you look in chapter 12, and you find that Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. So if you do the math that means Rehoboam was born even before Solomon was king. Rehoboam, while he may not have recollected everything very well, I mean, how many things do you remember from when you were one year old? Uh, probably not much, if anything at all. I mean, the earliest thinking I can go back to uh, maybe when I was three or four, where there's some very f- fragmented memories that I have of things that happened. But even then, you know, by and large, Rehoboam was able to experience the entire kingship of his father Solomon. He got to see everything that his father had done. And then, of course, also we have an entire book of the Bible named Proverbs, where 22 different times he makes an appeal to my son. And I believe it's in those instances where it's a direct appeal to Rehoboam, the one that he anticipated being the next king of Israel trying to get him to understand and to learn, this is the kind of person that you need to be. It, it, thinking about that is even kind of tragic to realize that um, the life that we're going to look at today is a life that largely ignored a lot of that advice. There, there are bits and pieces where I think we see some bright moments in the life of Rehoboam, but it's another one of those head-scratching moments where you, know, you yearn for the, the characters of your story to do the right thing to make the right decision, to live a life that's right, and yet to see them making decisions that all, all you can do is shake your head because you can't change the story. And that's kind of how I feel about Rehoboam. Things could have been so much better. There was such potential. He had a great legacy, you know, with David and Solomon. And then Rehoboam, it was his turn to be on the throne. Looking at a few verses in Proverbs there, and maybe you might want to keep a finger there for the meantime looking at some of these verses, as we consider some of the wisdom that Solomon tried to give his son, consider Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 28, considering the decision that he's now having to make. So in Proverbs 15, 28, it says, the heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. So I believe in this case, when he's seeking out the counsel of these people, he's doing a good thing. He's studying to answer. Have you ever had someone ask you a question and you just don't know the answer right away? You, you want to be able to give an answer, but uh, it's just not in your brain to be able to do it at that moment. And so you might tell them, well, let me think about that. Let me, let me do some research uh, and I'll get back to you on that. That's, that's more or less a summary of Proverbs fifteen You're trying to study how to answer that person. So I believe Rehoboam, a good thing that we can look at for Rehoboam is that he is at least doing due diligence to study how to answer this request. So you have that also, not too far from there, chapter 16, verse number 1. It says, The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Again, take note of that word preparations there. I've already mentioned the verse that is his legacy, but uh, I believe when we look back at the life of Rehoboam after our study today, this is maybe an, a proverb that might come to mind when you think about what led Rehoboam to go on the path that he did. It says, "The preparations of the heart in man, your heart is prepared, the answer of the tongue." You know, isn't it good to think before you speak? I would generally say that's universally a good thing. Think about what you're actually saying. And so, again, that goes along with what we looked at at the other proverb there. Consider one other verse here. Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 13. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Well, now I realize he's kind of heard the argument at this point but maybe there's some things that he needs to bounce around, and that's why he's going to some of these councils. Maybe there's more to the matter than what appears on the surface as far as what they're saying. And so he's not going to answer them until he uh, understands the matter completely to the point where he feels like he can give a reasonable answer. By the way, all of these things... These are things that we can take to heart when we're in our process of decision-making. This is just good practical advice for life right here in these things. So this was Rehoboam's instruction here concerning this deferred decision. Let's continue as we look at this decision debated here in verse number 6 back in our passage. And King Rehoboam... Verse number six took counsel with the old men that had stood before Solomon, his father, while he yet lived, saying, what counsel give ye me to return answer to this people and see the words that they gave him? It says, if thou be kind to this people and please them and speak good words to them, they will be thy servants forever. If you look in the parallel passage over in first Kings chapter 12, it says, if you will hearken to them, if you will listen to them, if you will observe what they say. And so we have the, the combined understanding of those two passages there. So put all of that together here, and you have what their advice was to Rehoboam in this situation. And the the general wisdom was: hey, these people have been working hard. Uh why don't it, it would do you well to be a demonstration of one who is a servant. That also appears in the first Kings twelve passage. Be a servant to them. You know, they've been busy being your Your father's servants now serve them, and that example will inspire them to continue wanting to serve you as king. So that's kind of my summary and my understanding of the counsel that they were giving to Rehoboam in this situation here. But tragically, in verse number 8, we see that he forsook the counsel which the old men gave him. For whatever reason, he decided that wasn't going to be what he was going to do. You know what what advice might he have been given that could have helped him in that situation, as he is now ignoring this advice. Uh, Go back to Proverbs chapter one, verse number five, the very beginning of that book. It says, "A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels." Now he has done that uh, to attain to to uh, to seek out. He's going to to seek out this counsel and with the understanding that you're also going to take what they say seriously. Consider also Proverbs chapter 12 and verse number 15. Says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. You know, I would have thought, you know, as someone casually observing this account that's happening here You know, Rehoboam, the answer is right in front of you. All you have to do is just do what these people are telling you. I think this is good advice. You should follow this good advice. You know, he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. You know, of course, there's a little caveat there in the disclaimer. It does have to be wise counsel. I'm going to actually say a verse here in a moment, which is going to express that. But uh, you have, again, the opposite of that at the beginning of the verse. You know, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. This is another thing you're going to see eventually in the life of Rehoboam, kind of like Jeroboam in in some ways, and being self-willed and doing things his own way, trying to solve his own problems without the help of counsel or of even God. So you have that. How about Proverbs 19, verse number 20? Where there it says, Hear counsel, and receive instruction, that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. You know, Rehoboam could have learned something from this if he had just listened, and not only listened, but it says there in that verse, receive instruction. These wiser people are trying to help you to be the kind of king that you ought to be. I think it would do you well, Rehoboam, to listen to what they're saying, receive it, you know, take it to heart, and then put it into practice. And it says that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. You know, the, the entire kingship of Rehoboam would have probably looked a whole lot different if he had just listened to this advice right here in this situation. You know, don't we find or hear of people that you know, one, one critical decision or one piece of advice that they could have taken in life to, to go a certain direction, they ignore that advice and then continue on a path which ultimately or hopefully does not lead to their destruction but uh, causes some n- nasty consequences later on. So we want to make sure that we're learning from the instruction that we receive. So I told you there was a little caveat to him seeking out the wise counsel of these older gentlemen. Proverbs 16, verse 31. The hoary head is a crown of glory. Talking about the gray-headed, the older folks. The hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. You know, just make sure that the counsel that they're giving you lines up with what God's word says, and you'll be just fine and I believe in this situation, those men that had walked with Solomon were giving him sound advice. so this decision debated he his ear ignoring wise counsel as we've looked at here let's look now at his embracing of oppressive practices, going back to our passage in chronicles the end of that verse, it says he took counsel with the young men that were brought up with him that stood before him. So now he's asking for their advice. And their answer was what you find at the end of verse number 10. It says, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. You know, if I were to paraphrase that, it said I would say, you know, Solomon made you work hard, but you ain't seen nothing yet. You know, this is, you've only seen the beginning of what we're about to do in this kingdom. So that was the answer and the advice that they were giving to him. So embracing oppressive practices, you know, I, you know it, causing them to work harder now and to be uh, more in, in bondage, as some of them might perceive it to be in that sense. You know, give us, give us rest from our labors. You know, what about the, the children of Israel, you know, back in the days of the Exodus, you know, and their cry out to God and their desire to want to be out from under that labor, and you're gonna you're gonna cause us to have to endure some of that same kind of servitude again. Now it may not have been as rigorous, perhaps as you know. At least in this case, you had an Israeli king who was trying to propose this, as opposed to an Egyptian pharaoh. But nonetheless, requiring of them this uh, what I consider to be oppressive practice. You know, what about some verses that maybe he could have applied to this knowledge? It, you know what? I, I don't think it's necessarily bad that he asked this advice from his peers. Sometimes there are things you can learn, you know, and, and I would think about the book of Job where you had his three friends that were giving him all kinds of advice, and then he had Elihu speaking up chapter 32 of Job and saying, I, I waited for all of you elders to speak first, and now I'm going to give my peace. You know, sometimes there's there's wisdom, but again, you know, just as much as it applies to Those that are older, it also applies to those are younger. You need to test that wisdom. You need to make sure that what they say lines up with what the Bible says. So, how does the Bible compare to what his peers gave him for advice? Well, let's look at Proverbs chapter three and verse number thirty-one, where it says, "Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways." You know, I've already given my opinion that. What he's planning to do now, based on his peers' advice, is oppressive practices, putting more of a burden on the people. You know don't envy what the oppressor can do, and don't choose to be the way that the oppressor would be. And I believe that in this case, he would be choosing the way of the oppressor. How about proverbs chapter twenty eight verse number 16? Proverbs 28, sixteen proverbs twenty eight sixteen It says there, the prince that wanteth understanding is also a great oppressor, but he that hateth covetousness shall prolong his days. And you know, that's part of why I think maybe he was being a little bit greedy in this decision, in his, uh, I would call it, oppression of the people. This verse here in Proverbs 28, the, the word wanteth there has to do with a lack. You don't have this. This, this is a prince that does not have understanding. It says that that same person who doesn't have that understanding is also a great oppressor. And I believe this is the direction now that Rehoboam is headed based on the advice that he's been given. So they've debated the decision. It's now time to render that decision. Back in Second Chronicles 10, verse number 12. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king bade saying, Come to me again on the third day. And the king answered them roughly, and King Rehoboam forsook the counsel of the old men and answered them after the advice of the young men, which is what we already talked about, making their yoke heavier, chastising them with whips and scorpions. You know, looking at that, maybe it would have been better to have been back in Egypt and endure that than to have to put up with this. And so in verse 15, the king hearkened not unto the people. So, considering his rough answer here, I'm reminded of another proverb. Proverbs 15, verse number 1. I could almost quote this verse from memory. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. You know, what's going through the minds of these people now? It says there, he answered them roughly, but... You know, a soft answer turneth away wrath. Isn't this something that your dad, Rehoboam, tried to teach you? Did your dad not try to tell you that you give people a soft answer? You know, you don't want to stir them up. You don't want to make them angry. And in fact, you're going to see them get very angry here with the way that they behave towards one of his uh, his cabinet members here. But uh, this could have been avoided. I mean, if you're going to make this decision, at least say it in a way that's going to... To not stir up strife. I mean, they're probably going to be upset, but, uh, you know, I think his heart was set and being set in this decision that the natural reaction was to answer them in this way. You know, maybe he had something to gain from treating them this way and and showing how much he was going to be a boss. And and I'm going to show you that I'm going to be a leader and I'm going to uh, and I'm going to step all over you, you know, whatever his mindset might have been. So not only was it roughly answered, it was also roughly received, we see in verses sixteen through nineteen. When all Israel saw that the king would not hearken unto them, you no, know, he wouldn't listen to them. I, and I'm think, maybe thinking to myself now that they're kind of you know bewildered at what he said. Did he did he really just say that? You know, do we listen to some of the things that our elected leaders say sometimes? And and we say to ourselves, Did they really just say that? <laughs> I mean, you like them or hate them, you know, sometimes y- you wonder sometimes at the things that come out of their mouths. But, uh, uh, you know, nonetheless, I think these people are you know, are just kind of in shock at receiving this instruction. You think, oh, well, he, he'd be a man of understanding. You know, he'll be like his father Solomon and like his father David, perhaps. And, and they'll have that uh, that little bit of a softer leaning. You know, Solomon, while he made them work hard, he wasn't a vicious dictator either. Um, this was something that, you know, I suppose in some ways they were willing to, to put up with. But, you know, there comes a time when you know, some of that labor, you know, you don't, you don't need it anymore. And it, there's times to make reforms. And this is a time that Rehoboam could have made a reform in the kingdom. You know, I've even heard some say that the, the fact that he's proposed this now effectively amounts to a tax increase on them you know, going back to 1 Samuel 8 and talking about, you know, this is the kind of king that you're going to have. You know, how many of you like tax increases? No, work harder for your money. (laughs) No, that's what I thought. And I don't think these people thought that either. So we see that reaction they have in verse 16, which I mentioned before is a similar battle cry to what was in 2 Samuel chapter 20. And so you have Israel disassociating themselves from the house of David and ultimately from the kingdom. So then what happens? Uh, you have Rehoboam continuing to reign over Judah, verse 17. And then in verse 18, part of their reaction here, that King Rehoboam sent Hadorim, that was over the tribute. You know, some people believe that this was maybe an act to try to reconcile the situation, kind of an arbitrator. At any rate, whatever his role was, the children of Israel stoned him with stones that he died. You know, how would you like to be at a pep rally somewhere where some elected official or someone on a campaign trail makes some kind of a, a something comes out of his mouth that you don't really like, and then he's there to try to pacify the crowd, and then someone he sends out into the crowd ends up, you know, getting mob beaten or something like that? and ends up perishing through that. That's more or less what's happened in this situation here. And now you see what Rehoboam has to do at the end of verse 18, that Rehoboam made speed to get him up to his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. He doesn't want to be the next person to die, and so he's going to get out of there. And and as I mentioned with Jeroboam, this is supposed to be a happy time for Israel. This is supposed to be his coronation. They're supposed to be installing a new king. They're supposed to be... Uh, fireworks and parades and, and pomp and just all kinds of wonderful things. Let's have a nice big party and enjoy this time. But no, he's having to flee the whole situation just so that there's not more bloodshed. So we see how his decision caused things to turn in this direction. And so then you have the uh, account there nineteen verse 19, that Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. So up to the time of the writing of these Chronicles, this was still true of this situation. We know, of course, that the kingdom was forever split from that point. How would you like to have that as your legacy? Hey, I split an entire kingdom in two. And and, and again, I don't know what kind of remorse might have been going through his mind, if any at all. Because I I do see that there is at least a a piece of Rehoboam's heart that still has some good in it. And we're going to see some of that in a little bit here. You know, practically speaking, you know, especially to children, you know, your your parents try to help you. Your parents try to give you advice. They're they're trying to, I hope, give you godly wisdom that's going to help you, help you make right decisions. I mean, think about what we said about trail life this morning, discipleship, trying to get young men to be discipled to learn how to serve God. Uh, the, a wonderful thing that's that we as leaders are trying to impart to those that are younger to try to help them along in this life and to be better stewards of God's creation to be better servants of God overall you know wouldn't it be tragic if you decided not to heed the advice that's given you you know or you have maybe a spiritual mentor that you have that you look up to and I can look at times in my life when I've tried to kick people out of my life because I didn't want to listen to what they had to say, and I decided I was going to do things my way, or you know, the thing that they said upset me. And so I'm going to decide I'm just going to not do what they say, and I'm going to, you know, who cares? You know, I'm going to go go off and do my own thing. And I regret some of the relationships that I have tarnished because of some of those decisions, and, and people that today I'm no longer in contact with because I decided I was going to make that decision. There's, there's heartbreak, and there's, there's a hurt that comes from not listening to those who are trying to help you. You know, we as humans, we're not always right, but uh, those who are godly are trying to help you with godly wisdom the best that we know how, and trying to help you make a right decision, so it would do you well to listen to that and understand the heart that it's coming from. And so before I say too much more, let's continue on with our message here, because I do have a bit more to say here about the life of Rehoboam. So forsaking his father, now we see that he is fortifying his kingdom. So now that things have gone this way... Rehoboam is time to take some action. Verse one of chapter eleven: There, Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem. He gathered the house of Judah and Benjamin, and a hundred and fourscore thousand chosen men, which were warriors, to fight against Israel, that he might bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam. So, in Rehoboam's mind, and I don't, I suppose, given what's already happened, and not knowing everything that was supposed to happen, because you look back at previous chapter in verse fifteen. God knew about this, and God had a plan in place, and God had told Jeroboam that he would receive the other ten kingdoms. But Rehoboam doesn't know that, and so I believe he's acting based on what he knows here. But again, I think acting perhaps out of a lack of discernment and a lack of understanding, doing things his way, this is how he's going to restore the kingdom. You know, It's not like you know, when David was in a situation where he needed help you know He sought the Lord as to what he should do in that situation. Should I go and pursue this group of people? And the Lord would answer him yes or no based on the situation. But we don't see that with Rehoboam here. He's just taking matters into his own hands to some extent, I believe, and basically getting ready to start a civil war. And so God has to pull in the reins a little bit and restrain him and keep him from doing this. So he sends the prophet Shemaiah in verses 2 through 4 where he has to be told, this is of God. You better listen to what he says about this. And to his credit, you see at the end of verse number four, that they obeyed the words of the Lord and returned from going against Jeroboam. So that's why I say there's still a little bit of good, I believe, you can find in Rehoboam. Maybe, you know, again, part of that conflict in Rehoboam's mind, having that uh, example of Solomon, which, by the way, was an imperfect human example and definitely had his faults, and there's some things that he's going to try to emulate later from the life of Solomon. But again, that little bit of a, maybe a glimmer of hope in the life of Jeroboam, that there's, there's something that can be redeemed from his life. A good example that we can learn. So at least in this situation, he decides to obey the words of the Lord. But uh, I'll probably repeat this again later. I think his obedience sometimes is a little too little too late. You know, he eventually will come around and want to do the right thing, but that's after he's already completely messed up an entire situation, and in this case, the kingdom. So we have the, I guess in verse 1, what I call the vain call for uh, restoration here, uh, coercion by force, Uh, again, reacting to a situation, as, as I believe this is the case here, looking at this situation, and you have the command to accept reality. Hey, you need to you need to just understand what's going on here. This is how things are. Yeah, I'm sorry, Rehoboam, but you're not going to be able to have the entire kingdom. Well, and so what does he do after that? So we see next he's in building he's building embattled strongholds. So he's now going to build up his defenses. Well, if he can't go out and fight, he's going to stay at home and. Uh, at least build himself up from there. And so in verses 5 through 10, you see a list of different places uh, that they're going to set up for defense. And when it says there, uh, verses uh, 5 and 6, where it says that he built them, you, you look at some of the names of the cities there, you know, especially look at the first and the last. You have Bethlehem and you have Hebron. It's like, well, those cities already exist. How could he build them? Well, it's the same as what we looked at last time when talking about Shechem, when Jeroboam built Shechem. It's not that he built it from the ground up but it's built being built up for the purpose of what it says here in verse 5 built cities for defense in Judah so he's taking an existing city and he's putting fortifications around it so of all those cities that's what's happening you know some commentators said that part of this was due to his now new threat that he's going to have from the northern kingdom jeroboam and you're going to find out from chapter 12 that they they would eventually have wars continually throughout Uh, the reign of those two kings together. Not in this instance, thankfully, but uh, it would come. So he has that threat from the north. But you remember where Jeroboam fled when he fled from Solomon. He went down to Egypt and so made perhaps some kind of an alliance with Egypt down there. And in chapter 12, you're going to see that he is going to have some trouble with Egypt as well. So uh, an ally, perhaps, of Jeroboam, who he has to worry about too, and why he's having to build up his defenses so verses eleven, twelve, uh, he is uh, fortifying the strongholds and he put captains in them. Verse eleven, the store of, and store of victual and of oil and wine, and in every several city he put shields and spears and made them exceeding strong, having Judah and Benjamin on his side. He was trying to put a lot of effort into trying to build up these cities now, uh, and especially someone in Rehoboam's case, where you've gone from having twelve tribes to two, you probably feel kind of vulnerable. And so you need to do everything you can to make sure that you're protected from your enemies. So uh, looking at that, uh, now we see perhaps one of the brighter points in his uh, reign as king here. The third point that I'll bring up about uh, this heading here is welcoming temporary revival. Uh, So you see in verses 13 through 17... And the priests that, and the Levites that were in all Israel resorted to him out of all their coasts. For the Levites left their suburbs and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem. Why did they do that? For Jeroboam and his sons had cast them off from executing the priest's office unto the Lord. And the reasons for that are given in verses 15 and 16. You know, basically, Jeroboam, while he was trying to disassociate himself from the, the, the worship that would take place in Jerusalem, He didn't want the Levites to be the ones filling those roles. And so now the Levites, perhaps feeling threatened by Jeroboam, are deciding to leave. And you have what I described last time as kind of a a spiritual divide which is taking place now. Not only do you have Northern Kingdom and Southern Kingdom, but you have the, the calf cult worshipers versus those who really want to serve the Lord, which you see in verses 16 and 17 here. Oh, there's my slide. That's what I was looking for. So, first of all, a haven for the Levites, and second of all, in these verses, you have those who have a heart for the Lord. And so, just as they saw the Levites leaving, you know, you're up in the northern kingdom, and you have your Levite brothers uh, who once served the Lord, you know, once participated in temple worship, uh, they're now uh, leaving, and the people seeing them leave said, you know what, I want to worship God too, so I'm going to follow them and make sure that I can still be able to participate in that worship too. So anyone who decided they wanted to follow the Lord and worship him were following along in this, I almost envision it as a caravan. But, you know, we have people scattered from all over the northern kingdom now uh, descending upon uh, the region of Judah and Jerusalem here. And so you see in verse 17, what was the result of that? So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, strong three years. For three years they walked in the way of David and Solomon. You know, what does a good group of Bible-believing Christians do for any society? You know, it helps to make that society stronger. You know, you have those that are wanting to serve the Lord that, you know, they're obeying what uh, Proverbs says. They're, they're following that wisdom. They're also doing what the rest of the Bible says and doing what he uh, calls us to do and be as Christians. The, the natural result of that, you know, as we're salt and light in this world, you know, we help to make this world a better place. To to, to maybe sound uh, maybe a little bit uh, cliche, but uh, we that that really is true of God's people. When God's people are being who they're supposed to be, you're going to have a society which, as verse 17 says here, that is strengthened. You know, the United States is stronger than it could be thanks to the fact that you have Christians in this. Nation standing up for what's right. And that's a call for us to make sure that we as Christians are doing what God has asked us to do and we can make Colorado stronger. We can make the United States stronger. We can make Broomfield stronger. So that was the effect that they had as they had a heart for the Lord and wanted to serve Him. So, fourthly, here, looking at fortifying His kingdom, we see that He's forming familial relationships. Verses 18 through 23. You know, notice some of the names. Uh, Rehoboam took in Mahalath, the daughter of Jeremoth, the son of David, to wife, and Abahal, the daughter of Eliab. Would you recognize that name? The son of Jesse. You know, Eliab was the firstborn of Jesse, which bare him children. I'll go to verse 20. And after her, he took Maacah, the daughter of Absalom. You recognize that name. You know, what, what do they all have in common? They're all from uh, David's lineage, so I believe here he is respecting the, the line of David in forming some of these relationships that he has. Now, of course, you notice that he's following the pattern of his grandfather David and his father Solomon before him, who took to themselves many wives, and that was especially the fault of Solomon, and we know how that ended with Solomon, that it eventually led his heart astray. So, looking at verses twenty-one through twenty-three, there's one in particular that he's going to like, who is actually going to end up being the next king. It says Rehoboam loved Maaca, the daughter of Absalom, above all his wives and his concubines. You know what? What kind of uh, Bible history do we know where someone has made that kind of a decision, and then knowing the decision that they made, how did that turn out? You know, the prime example that comes to my mind is Jacob. You know, Jacob had Leah, and Jacob had Rachel, and the one he loved and the other he, he didn't love so much. And, so, yeah, it's putting it kindly. Uh, but we know the, the, the turmoil and the heartache that came of that and the strife that happened in the family because of that. And, you know, Rehoboam may be falling into this desire. And it says in the end of verse 23 that he desired many wives, this was a, a desire of his flesh that he just couldn't say no to. And so, he, evidently, he didn't learn from the examples of past history, even his own family. Did, did he not see what happened to Solomon and the, the relationships that he had there? In fact, when you look at chapter 12 here, you're going to see who's, uh, what relationship Rehoboam came from and maybe understand why he's making some of these decisions based on you know, the wife that Solomon had that led to his being born. So we have these uh, family relationships. Uh, and then notice also verse 23, it may be another bright point here. It says, he dealt wisely and dispersed all of his children throughout all the countries of Judah and Benjamin unto every fenced city. So, you know, while he does have one favorite, he is trying to take care of everyone. So I'll give him some credit there. Because, uh, Think about it from a king's perspective. We'll even find this throughout the lives of some of these kings, or they have these coups that'll happen, and then they'll decide they want to wipe out the entire royal family. Well, at least this way, it'll make it a little bit harder to stamp out all of his family because they're all scattered. Not only are they just scattered in general, he says he put them in fenced cities, gave them provision, so he's taking care of them. So I believe he is looking out for the future to some extent here. But again, with the, the tarnish of the fact that he does have these many wives and it does lead your heart astray. So going on to my third and final section here, forsaking his God. You know, it's, it's one thing to dishonor your heavenly father. <laughs> That's saying a lot, I guess. I meant to say this the other way. Your earthly father. Think about it. Let's reverse that. So think about dishonoring your earthly father versus dishonoring your heavenly father. And we see now to what extent this has come in chapter number 12. First of all, we see punishment for transgression, verses 1 through 4. It says, And it came to pass, when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. We see that at least for three years, things were good. You had a nation that was following the Lord. But then he got kind of comfortable and decided, you know what? Now that I'm king, I can maybe make things how I really want them to be. Or maybe he just got lazy. You know, doesn't that happen with us sometimes? We, we get to some spiritual plateau where we realize, you know, what, I, I've made it to this point, And we kind of let ourselves go a little bit. And, you know, whatever the case may be for Rehoboam, he is, uh, as it says here, forsaking the law of the Lord. Notice the effect that that has, too. See, the example that we have spreads out to many other people, and other people are watching us. The world is watching us. Our fellow Christians are watching us and the lives that we live. You know, we need to make sure we're setting a a good example that people can follow. And then when you have someone in that kind of a leadership position or a position of influence that decides he wants to go a different direction You know, what kind of trickle effect does that have on those other people that are looking to you and wanting to follow you? You know, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And that should be the example that we set. But we see Rehoboam going the opposite direction here. And as he's forsaking the law of the Lord, the nation is also going with it. Now, are the consequences always immediate? And as with many things in life, it's not. And we see in verses 2 through 4 that it came to pass in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. Notice it says there very specifically, because they had transgressed against the Lord. This was direct punishment due to the fact that they had left their God. And so he's bringing Egypt now to chastise them. But you notice there it was in the fifth year. They had three good years, and then they had another year where things were okay, and then... Then you had Shishak showing up at your doorstep. And you see in verse 3, all of who he brought with him. And notice verse 4 here. You know, remember back in chapter 11, he's building all those fortifications, and those fenced cities. He's putting all that effort into it. And, and all of it is for nothing. Because what happens in verse 4 is that Shishak took the fenced cities which pertained to Judah and came to Jerusalem. So, you know, all, all of what he had, had worked for, and established. And and just like that, because he decided to leave the Lord, God took that away from him through Shishak. So second of all here, we see protection for humility. You know, I talk about how Rehoboam was obedient maybe a little too late. This is another one of those situations. Verse number five. So here's Shemaiah again, the prophet to Rehoboam and to the princes of Judah that were gathered together to Jerusalem because of Shishak, and said unto them, Thus saith the Lord, ye have forsaken me, therefore have I left you in the hand of Shishak. You know, you're going to be at Shishak's mercy now. You know, is this what you wanted, Rehoboam, when you decided to leave me? Well, see, now Rehoboam has another, another council, and they decide, you know what, maybe God was right. But now you've had this, all this happen already. You've lost your fenced cities. We're going to see some other consequences here later on. It says in verse number 6, that whereupon the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves, and they said, The Lord is righteous. And when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying, They have humbled themselves. Therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them, notice, some deliverance. And my wrath shall not be poured out upon Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. You know, we might hope that when we do something wrong, that the consequences aren't going to last forever. We can make everything exactly as it was before, and everything will be fine, and we can continue to live life and, and be happy, and everything will be status quo. But unfortunately, that's not the case here. Because we see that while although God decided to take his hand off of judgment off a little bit, it's not going to be completely, and it's going to be because he wants to teach them a lesson. Verse number 8, "...nevertheless, they shall be his servants," talking about Shishak, "...that they may know," this is interesting, "...my service, and the service of the kingdoms of the countries." You remember the advice that he was given by the elders you know, way back when he had to make that decision? If you'll just be servants to these people, then they'll be your servants forever." if he had just humbled himself then and been a servant to the people, we wouldn't be in this situation. So this is God trying to remind him now of that same advice years later, you know, that they're going to learn what it's like to be a servant now. You know, they're going to learn how to serve me, and they're going to learn how to serve me through serving Shishak, king of Egypt. And so that's how God is going to teach Rehoboam his lesson. You know, it's sad that we have to learn lessons like that sometimes, but uh, that's often how God works, you know, when we choose to disobey Him. You know, think about Matthew chapter 20. You know, what was Jesus' advice to His disciples? You know, they're talking about who's going to be the greatest. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So they're going to learn what it's like to be a servant. And that's an example of Jesus to us about how we should be servants. If we desire to be great the, the like they say, the way up is down, we need to humble ourselves, we need to be servants. So we see in verses nine through twelve that the the shields of gold which Solomon had made were taken away in their place was brass, you know again hearkening to the thought that you know while there may be some reprieve from a situation, things aren't always going to be they were before because of what was done, and then finally, we have. Going to the end of my slides here. Preparation, a poor legacy. And this was the legacy of Rehoboam here in these last verses. So we see the timetable of his reign. We see that he reigned for 17 years. Uh, It's emphasized that Jerusalem, this is the city which God had chosen. And God will say that sometimes in his accounts here. Uh, And especially more towards the beginning here as things are now turning. You know, yes, this is a divided kingdom now, but Jerusalem is still the place where God has put his name. Notice at the end of verse 13, I was talking about his heritage here. His mother's name was Naamah and Ammonitus. You know, think about now all the wives that Solomon took. You know, what was the example that Solomon gave to Rehoboam? I believe that uh, he was influenced due to the fact that his mother was of the children of Ammon. And so why was he willing to go and make uh, some of the same decisions that his father did? Well, you know, like father, like son. And we see him following in his dad's footsteps. And of course, the famous verse I mentioned earlier in verse 14, And he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. You know, that, that verse in itself speaks volumes to the life of Rehoboam. You know, maybe... Uh, the regret maybe that later in his life he felt that you know, he th- situations could have been different if he'd only made a different decision, but he's now having to suffer the consequences of not preparing in advance. So I, I forgot how much of this I said earlier, but it would do us well. You know, Those of us who know the Lord, you know, those of us who have chosen to follow Christ, what are we doing now in the meantime to prepare ourselves you know, the time to obey and do the right thing, the time to choose that is not when the decision comes. You need to to say in advance, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to be in this situation. I'm going to be ready so that when this situation comes, I'm going to make the right de- make the right decision. I'm not going to react to a situation. I'm going to be ready, and I'm going to be ready to make the right choice. We need to prepare our hearts to seek the Lord, and the time for that, is now.